Well, good morning. My name is Michael Talley, and I'm the college pastor here at Alliance Bible Fellowship. It's always an honor to be with you on Sunday morning to preach God's word. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we'll be this morning. I'd like to give you a, a little bit of a taste of what we're studying at our college ministry on Sunday evenings. We're learning how to follow Christ in a chaotic world, a broken world. I'm not sure if you noticed, but our, our world's falling apart the last couple of years. Um, over the last few years on campus, it's been very noticeable. There's been a rise in the amount of anxiety and stress and tension among college-age students. Last fall, a lot of the campus ministers uh, on campus were able to meet with the counseling center, and they confirmed what most of us were, were feeling, um, that th there is a, an increase in the number of anxiety. In fact, by week 12, I believe they had set a record at the university for, for cases dealing with anxiety than they ever have. Um, it, it's a big deal right now. Um, the anxiety definitely is highlighted on the college campus, but honestly, in our world, there's a lot of broken and hurting and lonely people right now. Um, I, I recently read uh, from this, a previous Surgeon General that we're facing a loneliness epidemic. 40% of Americans feel, feel lonely, like deeply lonely. And so we've been exploring the, the issue at our college gatherings. What's causing the tension? What can we do about it? It's a complex issue, but here's a taste of what, what we've, we've been talking about. Uh, I believe our modern secular world has offered us a very compelling lifestyle. We've been told that we're the highest authority in the universe. We've been told to live for ourselves, to dream big, to shoot for the stars. And in many cases, we've actually succeeded. I don't know if you saw earlier this month, but we, we shot a car into space. Did you guys catch that? And the, and the rockets kind of landed right back on the pad where they belong. Um, in, in a few months, we'll have a Tesla orbiting Mars. We did that. Human spirit is, is amazing. If you've watched the Olympics, it's quite incredible what humans can do. And so we're experiencing a lot of, experiencing a lot of progress and a, a lot of growth, but the human spirit is deeply flawed. And in spite of all of the growth and progress in our world, there is a lot of internal brokenness. We can walk on the moon, but we can't calm the chaos in our souls. We have the money, the resources, and the opportunity to build something great, but the utopia that we, we wanted, it hasn't come. There's a lot of people in our world that are joyfully walking away from God, but the, the problem is, is they're walking into a dark and uncertain future. That's, that's stressful. I read a quote recently from an author, Julian Barnes, that expresses the current mood well. He said, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. That's what a lot of people feel like. We, we're done with God. We, we kicked him out of the universe a couple centuries ago, but, but there's a lot of people that are haunted with the absence of God. Now, people are having a hard time creating a meaningful existence with money and with stuff. In a world without God, it's hard to find meaning. And so this is both bad and good news. The bad news is this. There's a lot of people in our world that are broken, hurting, lonely, anxious. It's a real problem. It's a real problem, especially among young people. It, it, is, a, it is a big issue right now. But here's the good news. What an incredible opportunity for the Church of Jesus Christ to reach out to a lost and dying world. It is a very meaningful experience to be connected with the creator of the universe and to be forgiven and to be brought into a community of people that are walking in love with one another. 
What an opportunity for us as the church to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, if you look at Christianity on the news and you scroll through Twitter and you're just thinking about it at this big level, it is not doing well right now. You might feel depressed that Christianity, it's, it's, it's losing status in our culture. On the ground, people are hungry for the gospel. They're hurting, they're tired, they're anxious. We get to share the good news. So this morning, I want to, I want to share a text with you that, that speaks into our anxious moment. Life is stressful, but it doesn't have to be. Peace is possible. And, and, and that's a truth that I think some of you need to remember this morning. Peace is possible in Christ. Now, we're experiencing an, an anxiety epidemic now in our world, but people have always been fearful as soon as Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, this is part of the human experience. And so Jesus, 2,000 years ago, spoke directly into this issue, and I think his words will ring true today. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, let's read it. This is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barn, barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the fields, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for your word this morning. Would you give us ears to hear? Would you soften our hard hearts today so that we can receive your word? Lord, there are people in this room that need to be comforted by your comforting words today. Would you give them the grace to be comforted and to, to believe the truth of the gospel? Father, there are people that need to be challenged and spurred on. Would your spirit work in the lives, uh, the hearts of every person in this room, Lord, so that we can hear your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a familiar text. There's really lots of ways that we could go about it, but here's as creative as I got. <laughs> the cause of our anxiety and the solution of our anxiety. That's what we're gonna look at. I know it looks like a WebMD article, but this is straight from the Bible. Jesus doesn't want his people to be anxious three times. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. He doesn't want us to live a life of anxiety. Peace is possible. So he's going to show us what is causing the anxiety and, and, and what to do about it. So let's look at the cause first. What is causing our anxiety? You'll never be able to solve a problem until you think clearly about the cause of that problem. And I think in the case of anxiety, we've not thought about it clearly enough. Now, for the record... I don't think this text is, is referring to issues that, that have physiological connections, anxiety disorders, depression disorders. It seems that medicine can help restore chemical imbalances. Praise the Lord. 
I mean that. That's a, that's a separate discussion. What I think Jesus is referring to in this text is the garden variety anxieties that, pl- that plague every human being from the moment you start walking until your last days on earth. What will I eat? What will I wear to school? You remember those days, don't you? What will I wear to school tomorrow? <laughs> will I have enough money to retire? Can we afford this? Can, what happens if this? What if I get cancer? What if the market crashes? What if we go to war? There are so many things in life that cause us to get bogged down in anxiety. Life is stressful. And especially in our high-paced modern world where life comes at us so fast, it's like we solve one problem and we feel really good about it and we lift up our head and there's seven more problems staring us in the face. And we never get to the heart of the issue because life just comes at us so quickly. Do you ever stop to think about what's causing your anxiety? Or is it just kind of a an assumption that in our modern world, you're gonna be anxious. I, I honestly think there's a lot of people that just go about life thinking it's just, this is just the way life is. No, it's not. You gotta think clearly about what's causing the anxiety. Is it simply a lack of resources? What if somebody came and paid off your student loans? Would that make your life less stressful? Maybe, yes, there we go, amen, Zach, there we go. Y- yes, it would. <laughs> Would you be less stressed if your health issues suddenly disappeared? You walked out of a church this morning and you no longer had to bear that burden. Would your life be less stressful? Probably. What if you got a promotion? Tomorrow you walk into the office and you get that promotion and you, you get to leave that old job that's been causing you ulcers for the last four years. You get to walk out of that into the life you've been dreaming of. Would that, would that do it, the trick? What if Kim Jong-un got saved tonight? And peacefully disposed of all of his nuclear arsenal. Would you go to sleep better tonight? Is that what's causing our anxiety? We tend to blame our anxiety on our lack of resources or on our poor circumstances. If I just had more money, if I had more time, if I had health, if I had security and I know that things are going to be okay, then I'll be fine. Jesus does not allow us to buy into that mindset. Our anxiety does not stem from the condition of our possessions or our circumstances. Our fear in life stems from the, from the condition of our heart. We've got to look deeper. When we read this teaching in context, this, this point will come to the surface. Now, this teaching comes up almost word for word two times, once in Matthew, once in Luke. And the way that they place the stories is, is fascinating. Jesus probably taught on this often. Matthew's context, we'll get to later. The, the, the context of Luke's gospel, if you'll allow me to go over there for a moment, is fascinating. Luke chapter 12. He launches into this teaching in response to a question from a man that has a legitimate need, a legitimate financial concern. Listen to the question in Jesus' teaching and then Jesus' parable right before he launches into this discussion. Interesting, verse 13 of uh, Luke chapter 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told him a parable. So the guy asked a question, I have this stress in my life, will you please help me settle this issue? No, in fact, listen to this story. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, 
what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. This is a very good problem, right? He's going to show the opposite of, of, of what this guy's struggling with. He's going to teach him a parable. I don't even have, I don't have enough storage to, to store my crops. I'm doing so well in life. I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. That sounds like a stress-free life, doesn't it? But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Here's the lesson. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And then he told his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will wear or what you'll put on. This teaching was launched into because, because somebody came up and asked to settle a dispute over an, an inheritance. Now, I imagine this man had very legitimate reasons. Maybe his brother was being a jerk. If he could just get a piece of the family farm, just a corner of it, and that's all I need, just a little bit extra money, I, I, can, I can save up, I can store up, and then I won't be so stressed out. Jesus didn't take the bait. He went to the heart. Your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. That's not what is causing you such stress right now. It would be so much easier just to simply blame our anxiety on the balance of our bank account or of our 401k, or on the condition of your pantry, or of your closet. If I just had nicer clothes, if I could just do this, but if we could eat better food, I wouldn't feel this way. We feel like we're doomed because of our circumstances and our condition in life. Jesus doesn't allow you to think that way. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? What a breath of fresh air to a secular world that says there is nothing else. No, 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 no. There is more to your life than what you put in your body and what you put on your body. You don't know how much God loves you and cares for you. That's the issue. You're not anxious because you don't have. You're anxious because you don't believe. It's a hard issue. To illustrate this point, Jesus will launch into two of the most memorable illustrations in the Bible. I love this. Back to, back to Matthew. Look at verse 26. Tells us to go look at the birds of the air. By the way, this is a direct command of Jesus. Go outside and look at birds. What are you gonna do with that? Uh, there we go. I, I, this means that bird watching is a spiritual discipline. And I'm, re I'm really not even kidding. I think so much of our anxiety would, would immediately dissolve if we got off of our screens and walked outside and tested God's love in nature. Because God knows that when we go observe nature, it'll tell us a story. This is what the birds are telling us. Go look at the birds. Why, why are they such a good example? They have plenty of reasons to worry. You think you have it bad. <laughs> think about the birds. They, they didn't plant. They're not going to plant their seeds. They're not going to harvest any food. They're not going to build barns. Do, do you see the connections with the story that Jesus just told the parable? They, they can't plant they can't sow, they can't harvest. But you know what? They're not worried. The birds outside this morning, they're not stressing out. I have an honest question for the bird watchers in the room. I'll be there in a few years. I'm just getting, I'm, I'm trying to observe better, but I'm not there yet. I've wasted a lot of my life not looking at birds. For the bird watchers though, I got a question. Have you ever looked in your binoculars into a bush and seen a, a bird getting a blood pressure exam? 
Have you ever seen an, an anxious bird? Like, you ever see the birds putting in the, the earbuds and going on a little fly to let off some steam after a hard day of worm searching? Doesn't happen. The birds, they just trust. It, it's just in their nature to trust in God's care and provision. Listen to Martin Luther. I love his colorful commentary. You see, Jesus is making the birds our schoolmaster and teacher. It's a great and abiding disgrace to us that in the gospel, a helpless sparrow should become a theologian and a preacher to the wisest of men. Whenever you listen to a nightingale, and the birds are back, by the way, chirping this week. I want you to think about this. Whenever you listen to a nightingale, therefore, you are listening to an excellent preacher. It's as if he were saying, I prefer to be in the Lord's kitchen. He's made heaven and earth, and he himself is the cook and the host. Every day he feeds and nourishes innumerable little birds out of his hands. The birds know their value. They're free to go about life collecting worms and bugs and building nests. They're not worried about tomorrow. They're planning for it. They're building nests and homes. They're working really hard. They're just not worried. That's the difference. Now, Jesus lands this illustration with a powerful question. If your God, not their God, if your God cares for the birds, how much more valuable are you than they? You're so much more valuable than the birds. This is where the battle for anxiety is won or lost. Do you know how valuable you are in God's eyes? Do you know how much God loves you? Some of you simply can't believe it. And this is why your life looks like it. You just don't believe God loves you. Maybe you walked into church this morning, and I know you do this. I, I do this as the, as the prodigal son. You've wasted life. You're thinking, I've wasted it all. Maybe when you come to your senses, I, I need to be in the house of the Lord this morning. So you're walking into church thinking, if I could just be a servant, if I could just kind of be part of it, I don't, no, 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 that's not the gospel. You're not a servant, you're a, you're a child. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ says that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. You are deeply loved by God. Jesus gave one more illustration. He told us to look at the lily. Line of thinking is very similar. The flowers don't worry about their clothes. They can't even produce clothes. They can't toil, spin. They, they don't even have the capacity to clothe themselves. And yet they are, dis, they are arrayed in resplendent glory. Here's the point. If God clothes the flower, he'll clothe you. He'll take care of your basic needs. He'll, he'll help. Now, the only difference in the two illustrations is the landing. And I think it's worth looking at these. He lands the story of the birds with a, just a beautiful question. Don't you know how much God loves you? Aren't you so much more valuable? It's a comforting word. And I think we need to hear that this morning to the souls that just really don't believe that. God loves you. Look at the ending of the flowers, though, the, the story of the flowers. Verse 30. If God so clothes the grass of the field, by the way, which is to, alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus both comforts us and reminds us who we are, but then he challenges us. Our problem is that we, we're loved, but we need to trust it. Our faith is small. We, we constantly want to go back to a, a secular, godless way of thinking. Our faith is so weak. God wants us to strengthen our faith. He wants us to have faith. That's why the birds and the flowers are excellent role models. They just inherently trust God's sovereign care. 
Think about this. God has a plan for every bird. That's how brilliant our God is. Not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from your father. As you go out and look at the birds later on, God has a plan for that bird. There might be troubles. They might not find any food today. Who knows when they'll die. But God has a plan for it and the birds trust that plan. And they're not worried. They're free to collect worms and to sing. God has a plan for your life too. And it's better than the birds. Jesus told us two sparrows are sold for a penny. That's how much a bird is worth. Two birds worth a penny. Do you know? Do you know what it costs to ransom your soul? Peter tells us that you were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so if God has a, a, a beautiful plan for, for birds that are sold for a penny, how much more? Does he love you? Jesus spilled his blood for you. He loves you. He cares for you. This means that you can stop worrying. It does not, please hear me, it does not mean that your life will be free from trouble. Life is filled with troubles. What this means is that your life can be free from worry and from care. This flows into the second and final point of our, mer- uh, of our, of our message. What is the solution for our anxiety? We've already seen the answer. Really, these kind of flow you know, together very closely. If our anxiety is stemming from a lack of trust in God's sovereign care and plan for our lives, what is the answer? To trust in that sovereign care and love for our lives. To trust in God, that he has a beautiful plan for us. Now, this is a simple solution, and I think we all somehow realize that, but it's very difficult to believe it and to live a life of trust. Life comes at us so quickly and we, and we get bogged down into the anxieties of life. How can we maintain a posture of trust and deal with the challenges that come our way so quickly? Look at verse 31 to 33 again. Jesus will show us that it's the orientation of our hearts. That your, your heart is aligned towards some end and this will make all the difference in your life. It'll, it'll impact our attitudes about the daily troubles that we go through. So look at verses 31 to 33. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Jesus contrasts the way of the Gentiles, the, the, the people outside of his covenant and community, people that don't know God. He contrasts their life with the life of the disciple. Both are seeking something. Both have a goal for their life. Both of their hearts are oriented towards some end. The Gentiles, the people that don't have God, they are seeking and they have to seek food, clothes, shelter, meaning, significance. Because if they don't find it, it won't come. What a a heavy way to live. If I don't create the meaning for my life, and if I don't create truth and I don't create reality, it will never come. No wonder there's so many really hurting people in our world right now. They are being crushed under the weight of that realization. They have to seek after these things. They don't believe in a sovereign and loving God. The pressure is on them. That is an anxious life. Praise the Lord. Jesus shows us a better way. There's a way that you can orient your heart towards a different end. It's a life of trust and devotion in God. God knows exactly what our troubled hearts need, and our greatest need is not food. So when the man asks, help me solve my inheritance, that's not your greatest problem. 
I'm, I'm not going to deal with that right now. That's not your greatest problem. Our, our greatest need is redemption. Jesus completed the work of redemption on the cross. This means, I want you to hear this, that we don't have to work and strive to find our value and our significance and our worth. We don't have to seek after the things of the earth to build a, a meaningful life. We already have it. Look at the cross of Jesus Christ this morning. You have all the meaning and worth and value right there. Jesus, as he died, as he shed his blood for us, said, it is finished. The hard work, the heavy lift, it's over. Jesus completed it. You are free now to fix your eyes on the kingdom of heaven. And when your heart is fixed on that goal, on the kingdom of heaven, you have the freedom to focus on the challenges of the day. You have the freedom to work really hard and to plan and to do all the things that God has called you to do because you're not gonna get bogged down in the, in the trials of life. Your heart is fixed on heaven. You can focus on today. And so as we close, I'd like to look at a few areas where you can begin to apply this text. There are a few areas I think particularly that really try to bog us down and we try to blame our anxiety on these issues. But in these issues, we can orient our hearts toward the kingdom of heaven. I wanna ask three questions. How are you spending your money? How are you spending your time? And what are you dreaming about? Now realize those are personal questions and I would not probably willingly just pick out, I, I didn't pick these on a whim, all right? These are actually in the context of Matthew's gospel. If you zoom out one para paragraph in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will actually look at these. Where's your heart? Where's your treasure? Do you have a good vision for your life? What are you devoted to? Are you serving your kingdom or are you serving God's kingdom? He's gonna ask three very penetrating questions. I wanna read these to you. And I want you to ask, are we seeking God's kingdom or our kingdom? Look at verse 19. He's gonna talk about our treasure. Where, where's your heart? Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This one's an interesting one. It's a little confusing. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What are you looking at? What is your vision? Are you able to see clearly your future? Are you able to see plans for yourself? What, what are you dreaming about? If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be healthy. Everything in your life will line up. But if it's not, You've got dreams that don't align with the kingdom of heaven. How great is that darkness? Look at 24. No one can serve two masters. He will either hate one and, the, and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. We're living a life of service. You can either serve God or you can serve money. Or the KJV says mammon. Your, your possessions, your own life, your own kingdom. You're, you're devoted to one. And so let's look at these. Let's look at your money, your schedule, your dreams. Is your treasure on earth? Because you'll be able to see in these few questions, or is your treasure with God? You're living in light of the gospel. Now, I thought a lot of our issues really flow through our phones. I think our phones have become the hub of our lives. And uh, have you become less anxious since you got a smartphone in your life, right? There's a few apps on here that I think we kind of navigate and manage a lot of our lives. And so I just want to help frame it. So as you think about it throughout the week and you push on these buttons and, and manage your finances and manage your time and manage your dreams, I want you to think, is this bringing me stress or is this bringing God glory? Think about the budget apps on your phone. 
um, or your bank account. You know what's in those accounts. When you click on it, I don't know if that like brings you a lot of anxiety to check on it and go, here we go, how much money do I have? There we go. It's probably less than you want it to be. And your budget, it just kind of like is a little bit like you have more expenses in there than, than you have income and it's hard to tighten it up. Maybe you found yourself over the last few weeks or months thinking, if I could just get an extra $100 a month, that would, be, that would solve my problem. Other, now, but now I'm just bogged down. I'm always coming out short. I'm never catching up. If I could just get a little bit extra money every month, my problems will go away. If I could just get that security fund, if I could get out of baby step one, <laughs> I've been in baby step one for a decade. If I could just get out of that, then I can actually have a, a worry-free life. Because, you know, having that cash stored away will take away anxiety from your life. No, it won't. According to this text this morning, you'd just have more money to manage and you'd have more money to lose. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. Or where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. I, I was reflecting on it this week. It's pretty interesting. If your heart is sitting there with your treasure and your treasure is getting picked away by moth and rust, your heart's also gonna get corroded and eaten, sometimes stolen when the market crashes. Don't put your heart there. You can put your heart with Christ in heaven. And if you're hidden with Christ, outwardly we're wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. So here's the question. Not, God, will you give me extra money? But, but God, what can I, how can I use what I have for your kingdom? You have a certain income. Use it for God's kingdom. You can renegotiate some of the line items in there to, to use it for God's kingdom. This takes work. This takes prayer. I can't tell you how to do that, but you can spend time in prayer asking how I can use this money for God's kingdom. Now, be encouraged. You think it's not much. It was the widow that was commended for dropping in the penny. And it was the rich young ruler that walked away sad. So even if you don't have a lot of money, looking at my students, be excited, be happy to use what little bit you have for God's kingdom. Seek God's kingdom first. Next, think about your calendar. Also stressful, yes, right? Um, have you ever tried to create, you know, get lunch with a friend and you're like, oh, let's see, I can do July? <laughs> Maybe because I'm kind of booked for the next seven months. I, I know this happens to us. We have school and family and church and work and friends and trivia night and all these things that's going on in our lives. And you think, if I could just add an extra day in my calendar, all of my problems would go away. If I could just get you know, an extra couple of hours every day, then I would be fine. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> it just wouldn't help. If you're serving your own kingdom, an eighth day would make you just more busy. It, just, it, it wouldn't help. If you think about it, God already gave you an extra day. Isn't that what the seventh day is for? God created the world in six, and he goes, ah, I'm gonna give you an extra day. You know why? So you can reorient your heart and your mind and your life back to God. What a gift. We're, we're in the extra day right now. What a beautiful gift that we get to orient our lives back to God's kingdom. You remember when they were leaving Egypt, as God says, it's the fourth commandment, honor the Sabbath. He says, you used to be slaves to Egypt and they were mean and they told you to work harder and harder and harder and harder, but now you're coming into my kingdom and I'm a good master and I'm gonna give you the seventh day. Keep it holy. 
honor it. So, yeah, so this week, maybe you can ask yourself, if, if you get a chance, I know it's busy, <laughs> your schedule's busy, but if you can squeeze in there a time for your family to sit down or look at your calendar, ask yourself, what am I doing that's taking my, ki- my focus away from God's kingdom, and how can, how can I reshuffle my calendar to glorify God? Finally, think about your dreams. Think about your plans for your life. And I know we all, we're, we're humans, and so we all, we have ambition, and we have goals and plans and future, and I, I think a few apps po- possibly help us decide what's on our hearts. Facebook and Instagram, you know, they're designed for us to show people pictures of ourselves, but really, we know the truth. You get on Facebook and Instagram to stalk other people, don't you? You're scrolling through and you feel miserable about your life because you're thinking, man, if I could just have that. If I could just, man, how did they make so much money? <laughs> I really would like to do what they did to, to get what they have. They're so happy. Um, maybe it's on your Pinterest account. There we go. I don't have a Pinterest account. I just look at Laura's Pinterest account. There we go. <laughs> so maybe you're thinking, this is what I want my life to look like. The remodeled kitchen, the, the bigger house, the better future, the better life. And so we literally put up a picture of our, vi- of our future. This is what my life would look like. And if my life could look like that, I would be happy and I wouldn't be so stressed out. That's not the case. Maybe you're thinking, if I had a better job, I'd be less anxious. Once we move into this, to that bigger home and get out of our cramped little corners here, then my kids will finally have the space to themselves and they'll stop fighting. Good luck with that. Once I graduate, I'll have all the free time I could ever dream of. Because life after graduation, it just gets easier. It really does. According to our text, our problems won't magically disappear in the future. You'll just find that that house isn't big enough or it's too big. Now you got too much to clean. There are always troubles and issues. And so, man, if, if your dreams are small, if your eye is bad, then you're dreaming small. If the best you can do right now is to dream about a promotion and to dream about a better house, you are dreaming very small. The eye is bad. The eye is unhealthy. That will cause everything in your life to be unhealthy and bad. The scriptures give us a a beautiful dream, a beautiful vision of God's kingdom and all of his glory. The eye is the lamp of the body. If you can put your eye on that kingdom and seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness, I have a feeling that you'll be able to make it through the week at your miserable job that sucks the life out of you. I'm not saying that lightly. I know that's hard. If you seek first God's kingdom, you can deal with the troubles you find yourself in. Friends, God loves you so much. He has a wonderful plan for your life. And he who began a good work will complete it. He's already completed the redemption. And so I pray this morning, you look to the cross and seek first his kingdom. Would you stand as we join together in prayer? Lord, you are so good. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the life of Christ. We thank you for this teaching. In Matthew chapter six on the Sermon on the Mount, we are anxious beings caught up in life's worries. I know there's a variety of different issues plaguing us all this morning, Father, but it is possible to have peace. We're not free from troubles, God. Your word is very clear, and we know that, and we affirm that. Life is difficult, life is hard. 
but we can be free from, from worry. And so as we fix our eyes on you, Lord, would you give us the strength to face the day? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven first. And then would you give us the strength and the bread that we need for today? In Christ's name, amen.